Be it superstition or just an apparition, you suddenly appeared inside my heart. Does this strange romance stand the ghost of a chance? Welcome to From the Bleachers. I'm your host, as always, Seamus Clancy, coming to you from the wonderful Bleeding Green Nation Radio Podcast Network. Now today... Recording on Monday night, bi-week edition, after the worst one I've ever seen in Eagles history, special guest, Bleacher Report and Turner Sports' own, Adam Lefko. Adam, thanks for coming on. Yeah, that felt weird, didn't it? It had all the signs of something that should have been great. You know, like, we get to face a dude named Ben DiNucci behind one of the worst Cowboys lines of the last decade, and... He, he's throwing sidearm down the sideline. We got our rookie wide receiver finally coming back from the IR. He's showing his ability to reach for the pylon, even when he doesn't have to. And our defense gets a fumble recovery for a touchdown. We now have a game lead in the NFC East, and we're going in our bye week to get healthy. And I'm sitting here going, meh. Like it's it's so crazy what it should be and what it feels like. It, it it doesn't make any sense. The only things to really be encouraged by to me are Reger coming back looking good. I thought really it was weird. The most encouraging play of the game to me was the last offensive snap where fourth and eight Carson might have thrown his best throw all night to Reger, mm. who went up for it a little Steve Smith style and got it, but it was a you know terrific pass breakup by whatever Cowboys cornerback that was. But it was weird. They could have easily won 30 to 9 by 20 plus points. Yeah. And it was still a disaster of a game that, you know, that'll sit with me the way some terrible losses do. And I think it's because of our fears about Carson. I think that the word that we're going to be saying a lot over the bye week is regression. And, you know, it, it's it's tough because I somebody asked me this yesterday. Have we done right by Carson? You know, bringing him in and all the stuff that happened with foals and, and coaches and, and weapons and all that and injuries. But I, I don't know. Something happens when he gets inside the 30 that doesn't make sense. He, it's as though, and I said this before, it's as though he needs the rest of the field to be confident in his accuracy. And he seems like he's taken a step back. And I don't know. I mean, how concerned are you about him? Because that's my biggest issue right now. So going by whether they failed him, I think it's a mixed bag. I think they gave him the perfect situation in terms of the coaching staff in 2016, where they had ex ex players and Frank Reich, who seems to be the he's favorite. He's he's the favorite coach of Philadelphia forever. He'll be the guy that you know they won with him. They've regressed without him as a team overall. The offense will never be as good as it was in 2017. Reich has had some success in Indianapolis. So amongst Eagles fans, I know that's the big thing like, oh, Frank Reich was the guy all along. So you had Frank Reich there. Yeah, John Filippo was a great quarterback's coach, has had you know mixed success elsewhere, but obviously was instrumental in getting Wentz ready as a pro. And then obviously Doug Peterson too. Then it comes to 2017. I think that's actually when they finally, it was the mix of the coaching staff that helped them bring him along as a rookie with some actual weapons with Nelson Aguilar coming along. They brought in Alshon Jeffrey. They brought in Torrey Smith. They brought in LeGarrette Blount. So it felt like there, they were doing right by him. And then it just seemed like ever since the Super Bowl, all of the kind of draft decisions, 
trades, free agent acquisitions have gone by the wayside. And that right. kind of shrewd Howie Roseman figure that we had in our heads doesn't really exist anymore. So I think they failed him in terms of 2018 was a little wonky coming up the Super Bowl year. It's always going to be, you know, no one really wins the Super Bowl back to back. It's never going to be as spectacular as the previous year. But in 2019, I think they failed him to surround him with a supporting cast on offense. And But now, last night, that's his best receiving group yes. since 2017. Fulgham is their best, the best receiver he's ever had. Jalen Rager seems pretty equivalent electric a little bit to that 2017 Aguilar feel. And then you I'm have Dallas Goddard on there. I, I want to say this, though, just to defend his honor, that when Alshon Jeffrey first got here and was bought in, he was phenomenal. And I believe that at that time, with a touchdown in the Super Bowl and all that, he was the best Eagles receiver that I had seen, other than T.O. for that one year. Now it is really sad that the relationship has apparently gotten that fractured that we're never going to see Alshon ever again. Yeah. And that's kind of crazy because he really was and and, and the nine way touchdowns. He, oh, and he just dominated people. But my my thing with Carson is I, I feel like it's trained into his brain right now that he has to win it by himself because he really didn't have any weapons those last four games last year. And then this season, you know, look, no offensive line, no weapons. If he doesn't come back from this bye week, and and if the game is never going to slow down in his head. See, the thing about Andrew Luck, and he played like Carson Wentz too, where you went, man, I wish he didn't take this many hits. He can slide sometimes. He doesn't need to hold the ball this much. Find the first reader, get rid of it. They, all, they both had the same issues. The difference is, is that Andrew Luck protected the football. Andrew Luck did not throw interceptions like that in the red zone. And and he used his wheels when he needed to. And Carson Wentz has been the absolute opposite. And if you can't win in the red zone, then you can't win. And so I, I'm hoping the bye week is a nice level set where you can look around at his weapons and go, maybe I don't need to do so much. Would you have considered benching him at any point last night? Recording this on Monday, so during Sunday night's game, would you have considered benching him? Not as a permanent thing, not as a forever thing. Like he could would obviously start again for this team sometime in the future, but just mm. even if it's just a series to take off halftime, have Hurts warm up a little bit. Did you consider that at all know. in your head? I don't know. I I also feel like they're forcing Hurts too. You know where it's like we get down to the two and it's like let's throw it in and get him a touchdown. I I think we've all seen some shiftiness of the kid, but I haven't seen anything to think that he's worthy of taking away time from the starting quarterback. I'm not I'm not necessarily in bench mode, but it's also because. This is an Eagles team where I, I have such low expectations. I don't know. It's, it's, it is interesting, though. I mean, I, I'm torn, man. I want to love Carson Wentz so much. I'm just torn. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Yeah, I, I posted a Instagram story today where was that picture of his ridiculous like North Dakota farmer outfit from the, the postgame presser that I'm sure you saw. It was basically like Pennsylvania Dutch Cam Newton was the vibe he was going for. And I mean, I, yeah, what, what's your take? You like it or no? No, I, I wrote like a, an, I do, I, I blog for NBC Sports Philadelphia too. And I wrote an article, like everything I write is, is fairly tongue in cheek, but I kind of wrote a joking article for them. And someone from Wentz's hometown emailed me like very upset, not like angry, but just like upset about the article, like a 500 word block paragraph talking about you know he would give me the shirt off his back if i was cold you can't be mm. saying this about him 
But the joke I was so going you think, for. You think that he looks like an Amish person? Well, I don't even say. Yeah, it just seemed like he looked like an extra from Westworld season one or something. Interesting. I actually think that this is the coolest he's looked in a really long time. Really? We have a textured hoodie underneath uh, what seems to be like almost a tuxedo vest. Uh, his beard is looking super trimmed and like really shaped. And then the hat. And I think what we have to learn here is Carson is just not that cool looking of a guy. No, sir. And that's okay. But I think the clothes, if put on someone else, is a solid fit. And I yeah, I maybe it's wanna... because it's him of all. Like if that fit was on Nate Sudfeld somehow, maybe Nate Sudfeld pulls it. I don't know if he's the guy. Well, just a random quarterback. I didn't want to say obviously Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts came in teammates. rocking a Booby Miles jersey and well, no, if, you know, if, shattered if, backboard Air Jordan ones and looked like the coolest guy in the world. If Jalen Rager wore that outfit, I think he'd look pretty cool. I really See, do. If Boston Scott was rocking that, I'd be like, okay, Boston, I see you. I just, it's this funny thing about Carson where he just, uh, there's something about Carson that kind of feels corny, you know, but, uh, but that's also why I love him because he's like, the all shocks persona. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's what it is too. I think it's a, it's a little bit, he's, he's not that cool, but that's okay. The texture of the hoodie almost like looked wow. like the material you would see on a bag of like deer feet, I thought. Like a burlap sack. Yes, I yes. can see that. Yeah, so that was kind of the rancher vibe I was getting. <laughs> it does look like a hat, though, that you'd, you'd take off your head and go, ma'am, have a yeah, good day. Like, yeah, it's great. I'll be damned. Mrs. Wentz, yeah. how are you doing? Uh, I don't know. See, I want him to turn it around so bad, Seamus. It's really better than him not having his hat on backwards then, right? If you have a fedora, it's not it can't be worn backwards. So it looks still looks like a, a leading QB one outfit. Man, isn't it funny how that thing kind of can take off? That I thought it was the that, most hilarious thing about it. Like I didn't agree, I didn't agree with it, but I thought the the voice and the impression was the most well, outrageous thing ever. That's why that's why um don't don't pay attention to the marketing, respect the marketer. To see Cowherd take you know, because you could watch a game and you could talk about accuracy and you could talk about mistakes and all that. But if if you deduce it to such a human element as the way in which someone wears their hat, that's what I just think it's masterful in terms of we're all in this sports dome together. And who can be the most creative to come up with shit and actually believes it? Uh, but it's it's absurd. And the fact that people get emotional about it cracks me up. Yeah, I, I thought of in the Moneyball movie where they're saying the kid has obviously like a, a bad thing to say, but has an ugly girlfriend, so he has no confidence. You can't draft the kid like that. Oh, like that, it's that term of sense of reductive insanity. But oh, anecdotal evidence to the T. I, I have always said this: you could go in to your job and you can pitch a story, and you can say, "Hey." Uh, according to this on CNN Business, everyone believes that avocados are the new popular fruit. And they might go, oh, that story's already been been done. Or you could walk in and go, I was walking here today and I saw eight different people eating and buying avocados on my way to work. And I think there's something there. And they're going to go take a look into that. Like you could have scientific proof, but people love anecdotes. And it's the same thing with sports too. I mean, it's 
that's the way that people judge Philadelphia fans is they see one anecdote or they hear one story and they use that for the rest of their lives. But you know, people love that stuff. Yeah, I was in one bar in deep South Philly and a guy said they should trade Wentz for uh, to the Colts for Phil Rivers in a first round pick. So obviously that's going to happen before tomorrow's trade deadline. Mm, yeah, I don't like that pick. I don't no, like that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I literally just made that up. Damn, I fell for it. That is the, uh, I guess, Eagles Twitter, the, the part that is kind of discouraged with Wentz. Obviously, everyone's hyperbolic all the time. Uh, the, the fake trade is to Indianapolis. That's the team that people think was the only, not for, not for during the mm. season, but whether it's after this offseason or when he kind of becomes available to actually trade or release potentially after the 2021 season is Indianapolis, given that Rivers is older, the roster around him is right. pretty good, a great defense, and then obviously – uh, the Frank Wright connection. From the national you know, you th- perspective, I've always thought that they'd be interested in Darnold. Really? I, th- I mean, I thought- that's, they have to buy low on someone, I would think, given they're not good enough to you know, be right. picking the top 10 and kind of just, you know, if someone's going to mold someone, it's, you know, you're going to take a, you're going to bank on it being right, right? Yeah. For me, I guess the, the, the storyline I always had in my head was that the Jets traded up from six to three with the Colts and the Colts fell back when the Jets took Sam Darnold and they took Quentin Nelson. They built an offensive line. And then after Adam Gase ruins it, uh, the Colts get to put Sam Darnold behind the offensive line that they built from Sam Darnold. That's like the, the symmetry that I've always seen in my head. Well, once someone leaves Adam Gase's offense, that's the turning point of the career. I mean, Tannehill struggled the last two weeks, but look at him. You know, it was a point where it was like in the last 18 games played, he had the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions as Patrick Mahomes. And you look at someone, the way Robbie Anderson is playing in Carolina, who the Eagles should have signed this offseason. But that's a situation where you think, you know, oh, the Jets need a new quarterback. Darnold is nothing. You can't say... He's nothing given who's been his coach the last – this is his third season there, right? Totally. Yes. Yeah. No, it's um, – I, th- I think it the it's too early for him uh, to make that judgment on him. And I think um, much like people should pay more attention to the producers of music instead of the artists – because it's the producers that will work on more songs and impact more artists, they should focus sometimes more on the offensive coordinators – than the athletes if there is an issue because a lot of these guys uh, are just not in in positions to succeed and an offensive coordinator can really determine the absolute success of an athlete they have to be really special to overcome that well, what do you think about that in terms of the eagles they don't have necessarily a clearly clearly defined offensive coordinator but they have all of these voices in the room obviously doug's their press taylor is if I guess if someone were to say who is the offensive coordinator, it's sort of Press Taylor, but then they have Marty Morningwig in there, Rich Gangarello, all of these voices. Right. With Carson struggles this year and the way he kind of hasn't played as well as he did when Flip and Frank Reich were there, do you sign any of that blame to them? The way people kind of uh, uh, Mike Rowe was a was a scapegoat in the city the last couple right. of years. You- I I think for me, I'm I'm waiting. I'm not seeing creativity and I'm not seeing scheme. What I have seen the success out of the Eagles recently has been individual efforts. It's a Miles Sanders 90-something yard run. It's lob balls to uh, Travis Fulgham, plays that are made by players. And when I watch really good offensive teams, I'm seeing guys that are wide open. 
Um, I'm seeing misdirection. Now, I don't know what they're capable of because the offensive line has been at this level and because so many of the weapons have been injured and there's been a lot of flux. And I can imagine in a COVID world, getting a lot of guys on the same page is probably not as easy. Um, But I'm still not seeing inventiveness that we saw in the 2017 season. I'm still not seeing... Um, schemes that are that are giving people opportunities for yards after catch. Uh, there there are a lot of run game stuff that I feel like has been working. I thought Boston Scott had a, a lot of open holes, but I'm also not seeing the purposeful game plan. When when you watch Kyle Shanahan, or you watch a, a Bruce Arians, or you watch um, a Sean Payton too, and a the guy up there in um, New England, Josh McDaniels, they, they're telling a story. They do things in the first quarter to take advantage of them in the third and the fourth. And I think, I don't know if it's because of Carson's decision-making. I, I, don't, I never see it get fulfilled. I never see the full story get told. And th- the problem is, and it's also to their, to their benefit, we don't know who that is in the offensive room. You know, like Deuce Staley and and Doug Peter. There's a lot of guys there. But no, I I don't see the creativity. And that's why I was hoping they were going to scoop up like a Mike McDaniels or somebody like that from the Niners. Like these young guys that have been a part of these systems that adapt. Uh, and I feel like when I watch the Colts, I do see that with Frank Reich. You know, I, I see Naheem Hines and I see Jordan Wilkins and I see... Uh, Mo Alley Cox across the middle wide open. And I'm seeing Trey Burton going up and back. You know, the first touchdown on Naeem Hines, everyone's going to talk about the flip. What I thought was amazing was here they have a running back. They motion him out right. He comes back left. He stops at the hike. And then he goes right back on the right. And Phillip Rivers, a little dime over the top. I go, Boston Scott could do that. Miles Sanders could do that. But I, I'm just not seeing it. I'm seeing reverses. I'm I'm just... I, I I do not see the true innovation uh, on a regular basis, and I don't know who to blame, but I'm just not seeing it. Anecdotally, it seems that in 2017, Frank Reich was the one who was in charge of scripting the early game, game planning during the week, and then Doug was de facto play caller, adjustments, things like that. Do you think that is the issue where even not just this year, but in 2018 and 2019 specifically, they were starting so, so slow in games. It's, and do you think that is playing a factor where we obviously think Doug is this great coach, and I believe he still is. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. Yeah. But someone else needs to be handling these issues during the week in terms of I, I stopped the game. questioning. I stopped questioning Doug forever the year after the Super Bowl when Nick Foles yeah like like when when he when him and Nick Foles put it all together and did that in Chicago and what they were doing in New Orleans I was like I respect it I feel like he's he's to me Doug is Lorne Michaels and Lorne is only going to be seen as funny as the writers in the room and I see that Lorne probably makes the big decisions just like Doug was saying Philly Philly but you know like he had a hell of a writer's room that year. And that's really how I see Doug is Dan Quinn. And I am not comparing Doug Peterson to Dan Quinn, but Dan Quinn was a genius when he had Kyle Shanahan there giving him leads so that he could run his defense 
at the way he wants to, which is an attacking get up the field. And it worked great when you had a lead. I also think it's so hard to judge anything on the Eagles because I feel like they've had historical injury rates the last two years. I really want to see what's going on with the Novacare complex because I do not understand how all these guys are getting hurt all the time. How do you evaluate a team that hasn't had their top three running backs or receivers readily available in the last two years? We always see the statistics. This team with Lane Johnson is really good. And this team without Lane Johnson shouldn't even come out and play. And then we wonder why they're not playing well. And like Lane Johnson wasn't there last night. So it's so hard to evaluate when there's this many injuries. The injury thing, I'm not sure it could ever be understood by someone who's not you know, an Eagles fan or someone who isn't reporting on the team and being in the city week to week over the last several years. And coupled as someone who's done a ton of Sixers writing and used to be a Sixers season ticket holder, the injury issues between the teams, and even for a time, they were sharing a medical staff, which just feels like the biggest no-no ever for $2 billion organizations. They've replaced the medical staff on multiple occasions since the Super Bowl. And it still happens. I don't know if it's a situation where a lot of their players are older. Older players get hurt more. A lot of their players have a history of getting injured. Injury-prone players obviously get hurt more. But it still doesn't make any sense. It feels unfathomable that a team could be hurt this much. I know there are metrics. The uh, This is the six adjusted, years adjusted Adjusted games loss. I think yeah, that's football yeah. outsiders maybe. But it, it doesn't feel realistic. It feels like, like a simulation type thing this – Post-Super Bowl, oh, you sold your soul to the devil for a Super Bowl, and now you're going to have these – they're not going to be the worst team in the league, but you're going to have this agonizing up-and-down season that is going to you know, yank your emotions six ways a Sunday every week for the rest of your life. Yeah. it's I don't know. It's crazy because it's the Sixers and it's the Eagles, and I'm just – I'm waiting for it to end, Seamus. Are you from the area? Uh, I'm from Bucks County. I grew up in Southampton and Holland. And then I was doing uh, like Holland Junior High. And then uh, I would have gone to Council Rock, but I ended up going to Abington Friends uh, in Jenkintown. Where'd you go for school or college? Oh, then Syracuse. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I went to Syracuse. I didn't get into Newhouse originally. Uh, got in. Then my first gig was Hastings, Nebraska uh, for two years. And then I went to Louisville, Kentucky for three and a half years. And then Bleacher Report. Damn, about seven years ago. But within that, like a million different types of gigs. Yeah, I've lived here forever, so just Man. just used to the city. What's so. what's your um what is your favorite Philly dish? Cheesesteak is like too cliche. Like I, it I is, obviously but we love all love them. them. I love them. Yeah. I, I like a nice if it's like more casual, a really nice chicken cutlet sandwich with Ooh. broccoli rob and sharp provolone. Like, I think that's like like low-key, like if I just had to have one sandwich from Philly. And this though. is my thing is Philadelphians, I think we get annoyed when I, – I get annoyed when I go places and I see Philadelphia cheesesteaks and it's yeah. not. I get annoyed when I tell people I'm from Philadelphia and they ask me about cheesesteaks. But the reason that we talk about it is because I believe that Philadelphia has the best bread out of any state in this country. And that's the reason is it is a delivery system. Whether it is a hoagie or it is a cheesesteak or whatever, that bread, that Amoroso bread Oof. is the shit. And I feel like – and like the same thing. Oh, I like the roast pork. You know why you like the roast pork? You like the bread. The bread. And so I think that Philadelphia needs to re-identify themselves not as just a cheesesteak city but as the capital of bread. 
we are we are the carb capital of the world. I think we have the best bread in the world. I do like it's the water. for, for it's a non sandwich, uh, a nice veal parm from Ralph's in South oh. Philly. Yeah, but veal parm I learned early on you should only get that at really good places. Because Ralph's is like the Italian restaurant for, yeah, for South. Yeah, I believe it. I'm just saying Italian market. Yeah, veal yeah, is well, a tricky meat. I wouldn't get it from <laughs> you know. I wouldn't get a veal parm sandwich from the corner pizza shop. Oh, of course. Oh man, I've done that, and that's how I Ooh. learned. Oh man, yeah, yeah. The more I think really about good. it, yeah. Now I kind of want veal parm. <laughs> do it. It's your life. Yeah, then be like in the bathroom for the next three days. So you, you do the Left Coast show for Bleacher Report. Great podcast. Okay. Obviously, the best podcast is BGN Radio, but that that's definitely up Ooh. there for me. You earned it. You're on there with equals great Brian Westbrook a lot. I am. This is true. The Rocket What's it like Man. being with him? That's that's unbelievable. Like my one of my foremost Eagles memories is 2003 year. That was his second year. That's the you know miracle up the Meadowlands number two that punt return he has against the Giants. He comes out. That's they kind of had that three-headed monster between Deuce and Buckholder that year. He finally starts to break out. It's the first year they have the black jerseys. Uh, the number one Christmas gift every kid wanted was a black Westbrook jersey. I, I disagree. I mean, that specific year, really. Well, I yeah, think well, it was. You're, you're, I think it was a, well, I think it was a black Dawkins jersey. Okay. Well, I think the that's just because I'm biased. My counter would. Be, I mean, what, Dawkins is my favorite athlete. Like exactly. No, no disrespect to uh, <laughs> B West, obviously, but I think a I lot of it was Dawkins had long been established at that point. For you know, you're right. Westbrook six, seven, was up and coming, and he felt Westbrook. I, I've He's told a local him guy was, too, so that is I part know. of the. And he we went talk to about, Everyone loves the yeah local in that in that sense. Everyone loves the. Not that he was a practice squad guy, but he wasn't a first round pick. He's smaller. He has a big punt return. Everyone loves the crazy special yeah. teams play. Man. Like also, he was a part of a draft that, you know, every franchise needs a good draft to really set the motion. And that draft, 2003, with Lito Shepard, Sheldon Brown, Brian Westbrook, uh, Michael, Michael Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. Michael Lewis, uh, man, he was great. And I think they had a pick in the fifth or seventh, sixth round that lasted for a while, too. Uh, it, I didn't really because, like I, I've said this before, once you start working with somebody, you think you don't. You look at them as a coworker. When I look over at Shaq now, I'm thinking about him as a coworker, which is crazy. That's insane. But, <laughs> but, with, but with Westbrook, I had a very funny moment where it was an Eagles bye week, and a few of my friends from home were like, "We're going to come up to the city." And I hit up Westbrook, and I was like, "Hey, listen, I'm going to find a place. My friends are going to come up. We're going to watch the games." He's like, okay. So we go there and we get like some buckets of beer and all that. And on the walk over, my friends are freaking out. And they're like, holy shit, we're going to go hang out with Brian Westbrook. And I was like, I was like, yeah, but like, who cares? Like the dude doesn't even like peanut butter. I was like, he's a, like, I was like, I talked to him all the time. Is he allergic or he just doesn't like it? He doesn't like Reese's. He doesn't like Reese's. Uh, He doesn't like the combination of chocolate and peanut butter. He thinks it's gross. And so Red flag. Uh, it's been, dude, it's so cool to get to know him because he's genuinely a great guy. And at the same point, it is wild. Like there are so many moments, his touchdown catch and run against Tampa Bay in which we lost to a 63 yard field goal by Matt Bryant was one of the greatest plays ever. It's not on YouTube, but it is, there's a game. You have to scrub to that certain part, but it's epic and you should find it. Um, 
like what he used to do to the Cowboys. I I interned at the NFL Network between my junior and senior year of college. I remember in in there in a features production meeting talking about how Brian Westbrook is the most underrated player in the NFL. And I was talking about how everyone focuses on rushing yards for running backs, but they need to focus on receiving yards too. And if you look at it, he's at 2,000 total yards because people didn't really care about that. Like this wasn't, we weren't talking about PPR. Like it was like, I want Jamal Lewis and Adrian Peterson and Jerome Bettis. I, so I have, I've loved him. And it is crazy now that he's hosting a show with me and he actually like knows my name. And at the same point, I love when you meet people and they're a good person. It's, it's so refreshing. And he's one of those dudes. He feels like a player that would be even better in the league now. Like, is there's, oh my is, goodness. He's Christian Mc, I mean, there was a stat where I think between, I'm going to say like 2003 and 2000 say seven or eight, he was second in the league in catches overall, not just among running back catches after LT. And then oh. in 2007 that year, I guess that's the year you're talking about. I think that adds up. That's when he led the league in scrimmage yards. I think he had, you know, 2,100 or something. It was incredible. that Back then, it was a dump off to the running back. You have no other option. Now, for Brian Westbrook to be going head-to-head, one-on-one on a route with a linebacker, Get the fuck out of here. Like Alvin Kamara is the the number one weapon in the NFL right now. Like Brian Westbrook is is and was every bit as good as Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Every bit. A hundred percent. And if anything, he eh, it's very close. But I Westbrook was that special and in today's day he would absolutely crush. Yeah, he'd be winning you your fantasy league every year. Oh, he did. Like, he did it. Like, that's what people need to realize. Like, he was a top three pick in fantasy for five years in a row. Like, imagine if the Eagles had a top three pick in fantasy right now. Like, sometimes you need to put it into that terms. Uh, but Brian Westbrook was, it was like him, Priest Holmes, and Adrian Peterson. Like, those guys were untouchable. I love Priest. Oh. Do you know that the Eagles were supposed to sign Priest? What, after the Ravens tenure? Ravens uh, go to the Super Bowl. They win. It's Jamal Lewis and Priest Holmes. Priest goes on a free agency tour, and he comes to Philadelphia first. I remember this. I remember tracking it in the Inquirer. And uh, he left without a contract, and it's because they they wanted to make Deuce Staley their true number one because Deuce really wasn't even the true number one at that point. That's like 2000, 2001. Uh, And Deuce came out and was great. I think his first game the next year – was 41-14 over the Cowboys, the pickle juice game. Pickle juice, right? 2000. I think he ran for like 200 yards. Yeah, I think he's was. I think it was 201. Deuce Staley was great. I would have taken Priest Holmes over him, but Deuce Staley was great. He was special. Yeah, it could be a domino effect where they have Priest Holmes. Maybe they never have Brian Westbrook. You're not doing a show with Brian Westbrook. Wow, I'm doing a show with Deuce Staley. Or doing a show with Priest Ooh. Holmes. Wow. Hmm. Who do I think would be better? Do you I ever interact with Deuce? No, I've never met Deuce in my life. Seems like the greatest coach to play for from other. Like I was listening to Chris Long's podcast and they were saying, you know, who was your favorite former teammate? And he said, it sounds weird to say, but Deuce felt like one of the guys on the team. So he wanted to say Deuce was one of his favorite teammates. I love that. Well, that's because running backs are the nicest people ever quarterbacks are you know they're celebrities they're stars uh they have egos 
wide receivers uh, are the funniest, but they are also going to care about you the least. Like they're going to bring food, but they're not going to bring any for you. Tight ends are actually uh, the best friends because they are because they have to block half the time. And offensive linemen are the most like they're like they they're so frugal and they're just they're so loyal to a fault. If you ever turn on them, they're never okay. And so tight ends are funny like wide receivers, but they're down to earth. But running backs are the most loyal, team oriented people ever. Because they're just they know they know what it's like to rely on everybody, but they also get their nose in there and they block. Like I'm telling you, this is from my experience of being around a lot of athletes. They just tend to like, and there of course there are people that are different, but they tend to follow those because they're required to do the same thing. Running backs are so loyal, bro. Like so, you know, Deuce is the fucking man. Who's your favorite tight end you've interacted with? Then who's your tight end best friend? Travis Kelsey. Jerry, interact with Chad Lewis? Oh, man. Well, that was the original. Chad Lewis, Jeff Thomason, uh, Mike Bartram. That's a tight end I'd like to hang out with. Mike, Mike Bartram. Bartram, long snapper slash Remember those videos end. they would do during like the playoff run where he they'd have a car running by and he'd like snap it from someone's like balcony or and they would just, like, he go incredible. into the window of the car. Yeah. Think about it. We've had some good tight ends. John Durbos, like American institution. That guy needs uh, a like a lifetime movie on his life. I don't. Yeah, his story isn't written yet. That dude is. I mean, oh, you're right with the Saints caught thing and how it yeah. saved his life. Why? And then the, he ended up getting a ring, and obviously was on Ellen a million times and all of these other things. Yeah, good tight ends. Who would you make your tight end fr- a friend if you could? I like Dallas Goddard a lot. Mm. I have a very similar. I'm not going to say we look alike, but. Like facial hair and like face structure, I will say. I don't want to say we look. So you like to hang out with people that look like you. I think. I mean, we're similar in age. She's got to be, you know, I would think a year or two younger than me. Has a lot of Nerf gun fights with Avante Maddox at their uh, their Mm. crib in South Jersey. I think I'd enjoy with that. I think we just have similar kind of chill vibes. I'm trying to think all time tight ends who I'd like to hang out with. Nah, dick is too much. Uh, I feel like Shannon like Sharp D- would Dicka be a for a, Dicka for a night, not like your best friend forever. Kind of like Man. you're annoying. He's coming over every Sunday. Yeah, like that's an interesting thing. If you could go back into time with any athlete in their prime fame to walk into any restaurant in their city, who like the biggest – like if you walked into like a Chicago steakhouse with Dicka in the when, – when he was coaching like in the 80s yeah. or – Jordan in '96. Well, Jordan would, I, but I don't think I'd rather, I I'd rather go to like an, I'd rather go to like Harris and AC with Jordan in like '93. See, I'd rather go to an Applebee's with Allen Iverson. Oh, the TGI Fridays on City Line. TGI Fridays, damn it! I always thought it was Applebee's, but he he TGI Fridays had better better honey mustard, so that was a smart decision by him. Yeah, I used to get like I was a very picky eater as a kid. My mom would buy TGI Friday. TJ Friday's branded mozzarella sticks that I would like heat that she would heat up in the oven for me. They that was were like flat, what I would, right? Yes, they were. Yes, they were yes. like TGI Friday. They were, rec, they were rec, rectangle, rectangle, flat yeah. mozzarella sticks, which for me always took them out of the top five mozzarella sticks ranking because I prefer a tube. My dream is that all of the cheese shifts to one side of the tube, leaving an empty tube for sauce for marinara on the other side. I'm giving you a very detailed. I'm, in, I'm intrigued. 
Yeah. Like you would want you, the shell to be off and you just stick that all my, like marinara sauce in there. Yeah. That's, okay. I like a, I like a little bit of combo there. Would you rather have the greatest onion rings of all time or the greatest French fries of all time? Uh, onion rings. I don't Agreed. like, I'm not the healthiest person in the world, but I try to be healthy. I don't like eat regular French fries by themselves. So I try not to do that. Sweet potato fries are my favorite thing in the world. So that's kind of, sweet potato have- fries, honestly, stop lying to yourself. Really? You want fries and you're eating these orange sticks that you think are good. And I'm going to ask you, this is a very serious question. This is, this might be an intervention, Seamus. When is the last time that you've bit into a sweet potato fry and it had a crunch noise? It hasn't happened. Saturday. You, you're telling me that you had sweet potato fries that weren't soggy. I have yet to find a sweet potato fry that has a crunch. And I don't eat French fries for the potatoes. I eat them for the crunch. And that is my argument against sweet potato fries. So I get them from the corner store, like the corner pizza spot. Um, Like we order there, like me and my girlfriend, Ashley, like three nights a week. Uh, 50-50, crispy versus soggy. They've been actually closer to 75-25 crispy lately. But there was a period in the nearly two years we've lived here that it was closer to 75 25 soggy was. but then i put them in the toaster oven see but that's the that's the thing see, if you need to heat them up again that's an issue yeah. with ordering them but like i, I would eat an the, air fryer yeah i don't have one of those i would i, I would eat them. like the like the cheesesteak or pizza steak wrap first and then i would chill for like an hour and a half and then i would put the soggy sweet potato fries that were in the fridge in the toaster oven that'd be kind of like the later snack People people talk about an air fryer the way they talk about it, like if they got baptized a week ago. They're like, I, it, I have it, and it changed my life. I have seen the light. Like people talk about – like the best advertiser for air, air fryers is people that have it. I need to get one. I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like that's the new like avocado toast. We're getting towards that where mm. I feel like everyone is talking about like this is the thing and that's going to be the – It's the new know, squatty bus- potty. Business. I, ha- my, I got that as a housewarming gift when I <laughs> moved into this apartment. It, honestly, life-changing. You know, it's, it's another thing. It's another thing that once you have it, even when you're you not, not getting – you're, Well, you're also not getting any paid promo and you still feel obligated to talk about it because it's that good. Man. Yeah, air, air fryer business insider. Millennials are spending too much money on air fryers, and they're not saving up for. Us. I could see that. That's a new issue. I like that anecdotal and good. Have anything you want to plug? Obviously, um, the Left Coast show. Anything coming up with? Obviously, indefinite start an NBA season, but anything to yeah. watch out for? Uh, so yeah, follow me. you could my socials at Adam Lefko, uh, and then I've been getting uh, kind of into sports cards recently. And so I have an IG account. It's at Lefko Cards. Uh, it's to be honest, man. It's the smartest sports fans I've found. It's also the the best way that I've found to bet on sports. And what I mean is, like, I I like to bet on games like anybody else. I play fantasy and all that stuff. But it's the first time in my life where I've been like, I think Kyler's going to be good. And I don't have to worry about overs and unders, or if the or if the defense stops people. I they, the the prices it's a it's a real market. So um, I guess I'm just saying check out sports cards because it's dope. Uh, but like Miles Sanders is a good buy right now. 
like Ben Simmons is actually, you could buy low on Ben Simmons. So uh, I just like talking about it. And if you want to talk about it, hit me up on IG at Lefko Cards. So for a while, I was begging Mitchell Ness to make a 1999 Doug Peterson jersey on you know Instagram, Twitter, everything. And then a guy who runs like a consignment thrift store online, you know, vintage sportswear thing, tracks down a 99 champion Doug Peterson jersey and Ooh. gifts it to me. And he also gave me three Doug Peterson Eagles cards. Do you have a Doug Peterson card? I do not. Do you want I'm one? Actually- Ooh, I have three, fine. and I'm not, I'm not I'm not a card collector either. Like I yeah, have three. That sounds that, that's cool. I'm looking I'm looking at his cards right now. I'm trying to see what his biggest card is. I've never thought I have about Skybox Premium. I have an Upper Deck one that's a little holographic, and then I have a Pacific one. Nice. The Upper Deck is he wearing a red jersey? He is. No, no, no. Nice. Upper Deck. He's white jersey, green pants. He's wearing a oh. red jersey and a Skybox Premium one. Oh, I see. The, the Upper Deck one. He's got the towel over the front. And he's definitely at the vet. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. No, like I have that that's the thing, is like it's it's cool. Like if there's money in it with sports cards at the same time, it's just fun, like the random ones. Like I got I got a random Brian Dawkins that it literally is worth like 12 cents. But it's so cool looking. And I I you know, like before I'm about to do an interview or whatever, I'm like, yo. Let me look at that Brian Dawkins, and it just gives me that good vibes. If you really want to, uh, I'll holler at a Doug Peterson. That would be dope. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. We'll, uh, we'll link up addresses. Nice. I just need DM to find a Sean Landetta. No, <laughs> I actually have a couple. I keep sports cards in my desk. I'm not a collector, and but uh, my parents were cleaning some stuff out of their house, and I had like a uh, what year would this be? Like a 2006 set. And I just took like a bunch of cards that I wanted out of there and like just tossed the rest of them out of there. So I got all Eagles and then some non – that players that weren't on the Eagles at the time that have since become Eagles. So I have a Pro Bowl Vic Falcons and also a Chargers Darren Sproles. So those Ooh, are the other cards I was uh, – I love that. With. Those are legends. We'll get you a Doug Peterson card and get it on the, the Lefko cards page. I dig it. I dig it. Awesome. Thank you. Well – Adam, thank you so much for coming on. It was awesome. One of the best guests I've had in my time doing this. From the Bleachers, BGN Radio, subscribe, five-star review, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Seamus underscore Clancy. Go Birds. Talk to you next week. Go Birds! BGN.